Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Parallel Church. My name's Tim. It's good to be back. I hope you're enjoying the Parallel Playbook series. That's right. We are in a series right now discussing our values, going over our foundational statements of who we are as Parallel and why it makes a difference. And I just want to welcome all of our campuses. Can we say hello to Okotoks? Say hello to Tabor. Come on. If you're on those campuses, raise your voice. Make some noise because your campuses are doing amazing things. Claire's home. Lloyd Minnesota. Online campus. There's so many good things happening around this organization right now. And when we talk about parallel playbook, like I don't know much about sports. All I know is that you're not supposed to score on your own net in basketball. I learned that in grade eight. But what I do know on top of that is that in sports, there is offense and there is defense. And for when it comes to church, we have offensive ways of getting into our communities and we have defensive ways of making sure that we're protecting what God is creating in this house. Welcome to Parallel Church, everyone. Parallel Church represents our heart to come alongside local communities, the ones we are in, and lead them to Christ through relationship. Parallel symbolizes that we are more than a building and our faith is made alive when it is in action alongside those that we live with and in the communities that we are a part of. We acknowledge the imperfections in ourselves and in those we we are in community with, but we are dedicated to loving all. Pastor Ralph talked about that last week. Not last week, the week before. This means we get involved in people's lives no matter how messy because we believe everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. And this week we are on the value of disruption. Now, I had an original idea to come out here with a Nerf gun, a blazing, and a tall Jenga tower that I was just going to be firing darts at and making things explode. And I, 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 to my core of my belief, I believe that God was telling me to use it. And then I'm just like, nah, we're going to go without it today. When we talk about disruption, disruption kind of has two crowds that either are for it or they're against it. Disruption can be either really good or it can be really bad. And the reason that we talked about disruption as being one of our core values for Parallel Church is because we're not okay with just playing it safe. We're not okay with just being mediocre. We're not okay with settling with what's been done in the past, but we are willing to take the risks needed to reach the people that need to be reached. What is a disruptive mentality? Maybe you're sitting in here today and you don't really know, am I a disruptive person? Maybe you're sitting here and you're nudging your, your partner and the person you're married to and like, you're disruptive, I know that. But maybe don't nudge them so much that people see. What is a disruptive mentality? It is the willingness you need to question the status quo of the way things are. Because mindsets control assets. And I'm not just talking about wealth. I'm talking about relationships. How you see things and how you think about things controls how you handle your relationships. Have you ever talked to someone and asked, well, why do you do it that way? And they respond with the response, well, this is the way we've always done it. The way that you respond to that response can tell you if you're a disruptive person or not. When we became parallel and we were working through our foundational statements, I remember sitting vividly at the table and we're all going through these values. We're like, we're like, love all. Is loving all important? Yeah. Yeah. I think loving all is important. Okay. Okay. We're going to go with love all. Check off. Uh, the next one. How about, um, what about authenticity? Are, do, do, should, we, should we be ourselves? Yeah, I think being ourselves is important. Okay, yeah, check that off. Authenticity, that's another one. Okay, everyone, how about uh, disruption? And then silence hit the room. Man, did we ever have discussions about this one. Because disruption has such a negative connotation to a reverent mindset. 
It challenges the believer to walk the line between respecting what's already been done in the past and taking initiative to build it better for the future with an unwillingness to settle. So due to the opposing views of disruption, both the good and the bad, we're going to distill the word down to its core through three different definitions and see why this is such a necessary attribute, not just for God's great church, but for us as individuals. So I went to the Holy Book of Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and the first definition that I found was disruption means disturbance or problems that interrupt an event or activity. Can we just stop right there and look at how our God started it all? He invaded time, space, and matter and came into the, and came into the midst of it. And then not only that, but sent his son Jesus to show up as a baby in such a, such a political time. Jesus was a masterful disruptor. Everyone expected him to show up and overthrow the, overthrow the Roman government with power and vengeance. And rightfully so, he totally could have done that. But even Jesus knew he had to disrupt some thinking if he was going to begin to cause change. And in Matthew 5, 21, we see Jesus doing his Sermon on the Mount. And he has an audience that is filled with a mosaic of people who were traditionally raised but are now living under a foreign, foreign government. How did Jesus know this Sermon on the Mount would be one of the most transformative remembered service sermons for his audience. In this sermon, in Matthew 5, 21, he states this. He says, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. Jesus uses this statement six times between verse 21 and verse 43. His crowd was gathered. There was thousands of people on the hillside listening to this sermon. And what Jesus was specifically doing was acknowledging the fact of what they've been told before, but then introducing a new way of thinking because you cannot disrupt your thinking if you have not been exposed to other options. You can't disrupt the way that things have been or the way that you have been thinking unless you've been exposed to something new. What I love, what I loved about coming on staff here at the church is our pastors were so intentional about exposing us into other environments so that we could take on new ideas, get new initiatives, be creative and, and bring what we currently had back then to the point to where it is today. And aren't we all thankful for it? Come on, let's raise a round of applause across our campuses because that kind of innovation and being exposed to new things has allowed us to get to where we are. Jesus was tactful in this process with his Sermon on the Mount because he not only presented a new way of thinking, but he did it in such a way that it respected the current mindsets and culture that existed. And come on, church, we can never bring, we can never bring people from where they were if we aren't going to consider where they're from. We can't bring them to where we want them to go unless we consider where they're coming from. Let's go to the second definition. Disruption means... Radical change to an existing industry or market due to a technical, technological innovation. So when Jesus said, go into all the world, aren't we glad that there wasn't a stipulation on there that he said it had to be done by camel? Like, he's asked us to go out and be innovative. Pastor Craig Groeschel has this statement. It's always rung true in my mind. It says, limited resources make way for innovation. Limited resources make way for innovation. For it's no surprise to me that the church has two constant tensions, needs and the resources to meet those needs. But I would put all my cards on the table to bet 
that God set this up for a reason so that the church would rise to the occasion of being the most innovative, most intuitive, most creative, most resourceful space for the masses to turn to when they need assistance because it's always God's goal to remind us that he never commissions us without the capital to see it through. And it's always going to cost something for us to be innovative. Reaching new levels means we have to sacrifice old behaviors. Maybe this is speaking to you right now as an individual. And maybe you're seeing yourself at a new stage of life. And God is disrupting some things. God is shaking your world a little bit. It's going to cause some innovation. But innovation is going to ask you or demand of you to put away old habits, old behaviors. Talking about disruption, you may be here today and you may be disrupted or disgruntled by the lights and the hazer and the cameras or the people walking around trying to get the best shots. But can I, can I just say this to you, if that's distracting for you? Jesus didn't die for the style of his church. He died for the souls of his church. And it's no excuse. I want to talk to the people in this room that maybe you were disrupted somewhere else. Maybe you attended a previous church somewhere else and you're just, you're just kind of wandering around trying to find a new place of belonging. It's no excuse to indict all churches because you had a bad experience with one. Innovation can be uncomfortable. In order to get done what needs to get done, you can't just work with the people you like because disruptive alliances create environments for majestical things to happen. When we talk about disruption, it just, we just can't keep working with the same people that we've always worked with. And a lot of times it's difficult when you're in the people business because you end up people working with people that you don't like. But can I tell you that our God is so good that he can still feed you out of somebody that you don't like or that you don't get along with. I, I, there's sometimes that I look back on my life, I'm like, thank God that person was in my life. We didn't get along, but I sure learned a lot from them. Where are you starving in your life because you've evicted God's provision because it didn't align with your preferences? Well, I just couldn't get along with them, God, so I walked away. There's, you know how many stories are in the Bible where God provided an environment for somebody to grow in and it wasn't all peachy keen? He has a way of doing those things. Acts 2, verse 46. Let's talk about the disruption of how the church grew after Jesus gave his life on the cross. Every day, they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Guys, the early church in Acts obliterated the staleness of just religious meeting. They kept open house. They began living out the values they had about community, prayer, and spending quality time with one another, which disrupted the idea. Because all through the Old Testament, we see people running to the temple to seek God's presence. But the way that the church met in Acts, it disrupted the idea that God's presence wasn't in a building to be searched for, but it was in a body, and body of people to be lived out. Why is this disruptive? It's because our natural tendency as humans is to hoard what we have and be protective of it. It's disrupted to believe that what we need can be found in the presence of other people. It's disruption. Let's go to our third definition. Disruption means the action of preventing something, especially a system, process, or event from continuing as usual or is expected. 
Jesus knew the best way to disrupt something was from the inside out. When you want to destroy something, you come at it from the outside in. When you want to disrupt something, you work from the inside out. Jesus continuously placed himself inside the messiness of people's lives. Let's just look a moment in scripture where Jesus was intentionally being disruptive. We're going to go to John 4, verse 4. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. We're going to come to that in a second. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Jacob's well was there. Why is it important to know that it was Jacob's well? Jesus never did anything unintentional. Although he was tired, he still sat down at the well because he had a disruptive appointment. In verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, I've heard this story a hundred times, maybe more. And we always talk about Jesus' intentionality to meet the woman at the well. But we rarely talk about the woman's intentionality to meet anybody at the well. A well is more about than just water. It's, it's more than just water. Biblically, when you saw a well, it was a symbol of a thriving community. Look at the significance of this broken woman going to the well alone. Now, if you were to read further on in the story, we would find out that the woman didn't just have one husband, but many husbands. And so you see a woman who's been ostracized by her entire community and she's going out at a time of day that nobody else goes out. And I'm telling you, there was an intentionality on her part, maybe hoping, maybe wishing that if she were to go out there, she wouldn't find the community that's ostracizing her, but maybe somebody else would be at that well that's broken too. She was drawn towards the symbol of community when she felt she had none. We didn't know who was going to be at that well, but I bet she was hoping for just one person, just one who might be broken or looking for community too. One person who wouldn't judge her, one person willing to have the deep conversations, one person willing to see her for who she really is. And the church in action today, it is a symbol of a thriving community. When you go and you drive through the suburbs and you see a church, you can look at that church and that steeple and you can think, man, people gather there. There's something happening there. And when I think about our church here at Parallel or in any of our campuses, when people drive by those Parallel signs on the, on the highway and think, man, there must be a thriving community. When, when they're joining the community and joining forces and disrupting the norm, they're like, man, there must be a thriving community there. I wonder how many people in this room have the same intentionality today that you came on your last strengths and you're just hoping someone sees you. You're hoping someone hears you and you're hoping somebody sees you for who you are. Because pain draws to healing like thirst draws you to water. And if you're feeling something, if, if you're feeling ostracized or outcast by your community, that pain will draw you to a place where you might be able to find healing. And I believe with all my heart that that's the intentionality of the woman when she went to the well. And Jesus, through a conversation with her, is disrupting 
everything. He specifically placed himself in a, in a space he culturally shouldn't be in. He's about to talk in length and in detail to a person he culturally shouldn't be talking to. And he ends up disrupting normal conversational matter. Like what they talk about is not something that would have been said at the local market. Like people just didn't talk about their failures openly like that. And Jesus is breaking the rules for the sake of relationship. He's disrupting the cultural norm for the sake of relationship. And if anybody modeled relationships over religion, it was him. He had it. He, he understood it. And when we look at the definition, the third one that we just went over, the action of preventing something, especially a system, process, or event from continuing as usual or expected, Jesus is breaking the rules of relationship because he's disrupting her life in this moment. And I would go to bet that any one of us are in this room today because at some point on one day, in one moment, Jesus disrupted your life. He disrupted my life. His purpose was to, to disrupt the pattern of this woman's life. Otherwise, she would have carried on in shameful infidelity. Instead, she went back to her community and others were saved through her. Why is disruption one of our core values? Well, because none of us would be here if we weren't disrupted first. But we got it wrong as the church in the past. And we thought our position was to remain in the village and be the community that chastises and, and, and throws shame on people who do things wrong. And you know what? If you were to go out into any community these days, I did just for fun. I went on to our local Roast and Toast page. How many subscribers? Like 11,000 people are part of that group. I went on to our Helping Hands page, 6,000. It's no, it's no, like it's not a, <laughs> a mystery that people are drawn to drama and drawn to the things that, that don't benefit one another. We got it wrong as the church in the past. And the truth is our position is to do what Jesus did. Go to the isolated population, meet physical needs, and set the environment for God to meet spiritual needs. And disrupt the idea that the unloved can't be loved again. Because love will always be disruptive in environments that are fueled by hate. Church, it's disruptive to be a rebuilder and a restorer in a culture where everything every day is being torn apart and people are being torn apart. It's disruptive to be unexpectedly generous in spaces oppressed by lack. It's disruptive to show love and compassion to people who may take advantage of it. It's disruptive to constantly redirect broken lives in a broken world back to a loving savior. But that's what we're called to do. So if that's disruption, sign me up. Sign me up. And my greatest prayer in my lifetime is that God's church is disrupted from being an exclusive social club to an inclusive social movement that we get agitated and unsettled and we can't sit still when we aren't hearing testimonies of lives being changed and conviction draws us to be more innovative to reach those not yet reached. Church, we can't settle. There's still people out there that don't know that there's a savior for them. And I'll guarantee there's people in this room 
that don't know that there's a savior for you. The takeaway today is this disruption without the intent to improve something or someone is simply destructive. We're not disrupting things for the sake of just messing things up without a purpose, without a cause. We're actually pushing the margin a little bit because we know beyond that margin are people who need Jesus. We know that when we take risks, we may triumph, we may fail, but at least we'll know what's on the other side of trying. Church, if we are going to be effective in our community that is ever-changing culturally, we are going to have to be adaptive and agile and every now and then be a little bit disruptive. And can I just put a call out to everyone sitting in this room or at one of our campuses today and just remind you that somebody has walked through your doors today. Somebody is in that room sitting in a chair and they are walking away from a community that has maybe chastised them or ostracized them and they feel isolated. They feel like their failures are too heavy to carry in public. If we're going to be disruptive, can I challenge you to be disruptive a little bit in your Sunday morning routine? That you wouldn't flock to your closest friends when it comes to social or lobby time. That you would actually be intentional like Jesus was. Even though he was tired, even though the day was done, he sat down in a place just waiting for a defined appointment to disrupt somebody's life. Every person in this room has the ability and every person in those campuses has the ability to disrupt somebody's life in a really good way. Let's be the church. Let's be disruptive. Let's not settle. And let's continue to save souls for the kingdom because Jesus didn't die for style in his church. He died for souls in his church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are constantly moving. You are constantly doing a new thing. God, I thank you for every innovative, creative idea. God, that you have for parallel organization, Father, that it would be able to be drawn out through our people, God. I pray for every opportunity, God, would be a God opportunity, the ones we take advantage of. We thank you, God, that there is such a, uh, a calling on this church and the people in it, Father, to overturn the soil for good. So we just thank you for your doing in hearts here this morning. I thank you, Father, for those that feel like the woman at the well who are not seen, who haven't been encouraged or affirmed and who they are, Father, that today would be a day where everything turns around for them because you are the God of the miraculous. In Jesus' name, amen.